Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Cool fact a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage for you. Learn more at uh1.com. Hello, guys and girls. The program you are about to hear will be both fun and educational, but it is not a substitute for medical advice. Although we are doctors, we are not your doctors. Hello and welcome to Travel Medicine. As always, I'm your friendly neighborhood internal medicine doc, Dr. J. Hey guys, Dr. Santosh here, pediatric infectious disease doc and researcher. You know what holiday we missed, Santosh? I know I went on and on about <laughs> Halloween for a while there. Sure, sure. But yeah. Um, I was kind of sad we missed like Indigenous Peoples Day. Uh, I don't know if we could do anything for it. Um, there is a lot to say about our wonderful, you know, indigenous people here in the United States um, and Canada. They'd be called First Nations people. But uh, is that is that the one you're talking about? No way to elevate the conversation, though. I was no. talking about International Talk Like a Pirate Day. Oh, yar. <laughs> what day is that? Or it'd be September 19th. Maybe. Yeah. <laughs> I... Uh -oh. I don't know. Does it have, because September 19th is kind of arbitrary. Like it doesn't have anything, you know, that, that sounds vaguely piratey, right? No, because... it's an entirely invented holiday by yeah, yeah. columnists, but, but that's not important <laughs> right now. No, no, because I mean, you know, in Star Wars lingos, you have May the 4th be with you. And two days later, the Revenge of the 6th. But it's, you know, that that's, uh, you know, it, it kind of rhymes, it kind of flows with it and that kind of a thing. I didn't know if that could happen to over here. So, you know what holiday we missed recently? <laughs> it was International Talk Like a Pirate Day. Yeah. <laughs> all right, all right. International Talk Like a Pirate Day, Métis. Yes. And, now, when I think, and when I think of pirates, yar. it gets me wondering about all the accessories uh, being a pirate sounds expensive, which is why I think you're always looking for booty. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I mean, the, there's booty kind of booty, but there's also, you know, the, the you know, actual money and, and jewels kind of booty that can help you buy other stuff, including booty. So this week I wanted to talk about the most dangerous accessory a pirate could have. Yeah. Okay. Uh his uh his big curvy sword. Good thought, but no. 
Uh, every pirate, I'm sure, was properly trained in the use of their weapons, most okay. of them having come from the Navy or uh, being kidnapped <laughs> off other ships. Okay, okay. Was it their uh, democratic laws and, you know, spurning, you know, royalty and that kind of nonsense because they believed in equality and the vote and all that kind of stuff? No, all those those are all surprisingly true as well, as we've learned from the Pirate Museum in Nassau, Bahamas. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. No, no. Think harder. What is the most dangerous thing a pirate would have on them? Uh, not on their ship, like a giant cannon that could blow a hole in the thing, right? Uh, hook for a hand? What about hook for a hand? I guess possibility of tetanus. But <laughs> no, oh, no, I'm thinking... I mean, you'd have to be crackers not to get it. Oh, oh! I never thought of this as dangerous. Are you talking about their like Polly the pirate? No, Polly the Polly the parrot. The, the, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, rattle me bones, rattle me bones, like that kind of thing. That's right. So I'm I'm going to tell you a story. Okay, and it's going to start with a parrot. Okay, and take you and take you deep into. Uh, Argentina, okay, and eventually okay. to the U.S. A tale woven with theatrics, uh huh. Oh, with mystery. Oh, nice. With death. Oh, okay. And it all will serve as a prelude to our episode, which this week is around the world in eighty plagues. <laughs> and there goes a few more notches off the old uh, <laughs> higher register hearing. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> You're old. You don't have those registers anyway. I know. I know. I know. If, if you know, you had some teenagers who just wanted to, like my, te- you know, my soon to be teenage daughter, if she wants to get some things past me, she can just start talking like this. And then I'm just, I'm none the wiser. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> which it, it still begs the question how am i still able to hear that racket but that's a question for another day back to our story yes sir the original uh-huh. parrots yeah came from a shipment in brazil presumably caught in curious george fashion oh okay. <laughs> now they okay. had been yeah they had been kept in overcrowded crates, packaged in unsanitary conditions. Oh, oh, poor things. Okay, so they were just kind of stuffed in there. And sent to a very popular location for a purchasing okay. of parrots. Okay. A okay. paradise of parrot purchasing, if you will. <laughs> okay, sure. And that, surprisingly, was 1920s Argentina. Oh, all right. so it, it went from Brazil to Argentina? Well, this, this particular ship full of parrots. And gotcha. among those parrots... Yes. Lurks our killer. Oh, no. Oh, an my unknown, God. An <laughs> unknown killer. Yes, yes. Okay, okay. And we're, we're in and around the world. I'm getting there. I'm getting there. So we're, we're talking about some bird-carrying... Uh, you know, pathogens. Absolutely. Okay. I, I have a few going around in my mind. Okay. Okay. These parrots went out to various households in Argentina, but one parrot uh-huh. 
had dreams bigger than just being locked in a cage <gasps> as songbird for some family unappreciative of its talents. No, this bird wanted to be a star. Wow. Okay. So he wanted to sing. He wanted to get some singing out there, you know, and, uh, and, and, you know, maybe hit Broadway one of those days and that kind of thing. All right. No, there was a play going on in Argentina, and this parrot had been cast in a starring role. And you know how the parrot knew it was a starring role? Okay, how did it know it was in a star? No, was it was it one of those where you know when the when it flew over to the local theater, it uh, you know you had the the marquee, and like you know the, his name was up in lights, Polly, like that kind of thing, or her name, because. There was a scene in this play, and I'm not going to tell you the name because I don't know the name of the play, but okay. picture something dramatic. I'm, you know, 1920s-style marquee, big lights. Okay, okay. Carmen Mas, the show <gasps> star, a well-known Argentinian comedian. Okay, okay, gotcha. Her leading man, Florencia Paravincini. Oh, my God. What a beautiful name. Okay. All right. And at least eight other cast members all had to stroke or pet this parrot during a prominent scene in the play. Okay. Okay. So as in, you know, their, their whole thing was to actually like, you know, kind of pet the pirate. Boom. Like that. (laughs) But let me now whisk you away from Argentina to small town USA, any town, let's say Annapolis in Maryland, where Dr. Willis P. Martin was making an urgent house call on the evening of January 6th, 1930. Wait, Josh, you just took me all the way from Argentina to Maryland. What's going on here? Sister cities. <laughs> so, wait, are we gonna he- we hear what happened to the actors later? Stay tuned for this episode of Around the World. <laughs> oh God! <laughs> <laughs> plagues. Oh, okay. I had the cans like half off my ears, and then I put them back on. <laughs> Can't believe you rope-a-doped me like that. All right, move on, Maryland. On the evening of January 6th, 1930, Dr. Willis P. Martin paid Mm. an urgent house call on the family in Annapolis, Maryland, who, shortly after Christmas, had begun to feel slightly feverish. Oh, okay. At At first, they attributed their symptoms to influenza and, of course, who wouldn't feel bad with the recent stock market crash? <laughs> sure, sure. So the, uh, I'm guessing there were flu-like symptoms that was that were going along here. So like coughs or, you know, runny nose, congestion, that kind of yeah, thing? Yeah, a, a little bit of an irritable cough, maybe okay. some constipation, some okay. fatigue. Uh, you know, okay. the, the wife wasn't sleeping well. The, Normal flu stuff, but this had gone on for about a week, and now they were deathly ill. Oh, no. Oh, no. Now, Dr. Martin suspected pneumonia, 
Maybe typhoid fever. Uh, Maybe a mix. (laughs) Of course, we we in infectious diseases love a mix. You can certainly have more than one thing, although we're taught in medical school to try not to do that as much as possible. Well, he said, you know, typhoid fever seems like an option, except the husband, who had eaten all the same meals as the rest of the family, was perfectly well. So foodborne illnesses... Yeah, yeah. So Salmonella typhi, right, is, uh, you know, usually transmitted fecal oral. Uh, the, the person who prepares the food doesn't wash their hands properly. And then you ingest it. And then the salmonella goes from your intestines into your bloodstream and starts wreaking havoc. Um, so yeah, generally speaking, if everyone's sharing meals, um, especially if there's no hand washing in between or anything like that. And this was an era when hand washing wasn't super, super popular. So yeah, everyone yes, totally should... unlike today. Yeah. <laughs> but no, everyone should be, you know, kind of, uh, you know, equally infected. Um, hence, you know, the, the myth of, Typhoid Mary, way back when, that you, one person who's infected doesn't wash their hands preparing food. Well, lots of wasn't typhoid. It wasn't. So, yeah. okay, it wasn't typhoid. Uh, and Dr. Martin continued to ask around for all other possible sources of infection. Okay, sick contacts, recent travel, any pets, and gosh, wouldn't you know it? There was a parrot that uh the husband had purchased from a pet store in baltimore uh, but but by christmas eve the plumage had grown a little ruffled and dirty and the creature was showing signs of listlessness and you know it's just it's not a reliable pet store because wouldn't you know come christmas day the parrot was dead oh my gosh okay okay so all right and again 80 plagues and stuff so we might be thinking about um, you know, a zoonotic disease that can affect both animals and uh, humans, uh, well, human animals, as well as bird animals. Okay, gotcha. Now, let's fly back over, hop on our traveling Indiana Jones-style red dot, and oh, go sure. back okay. to Argentina. Okay, okay. Where the theater was now closed. The tr- The theater where the troupe had been performing was shuttered. Okay, um, okay. Oh, what happened here? Well, you see, Carmen Mas and Florencia Paravincini mm-hmm. were both dead. Oh. Well, Carmen <gasps> oh Mas... Oh, my gosh. Carmen, hold on. Uh, Carmen Mas was dead, and Florencia <gasps> Paravincini was late. Shoot. And Florencia Paravincini was laid up after 17 days of agony, looked as though he finally was on the road to recovery, as well as eight other actors who had gotten sick as a result of being in that play, a play which folks wondered if it was cursed, at least initially. Until a doctor at the hospital put two and two together. For you see, he had been to the show and he had seen that the actors had been required to pet the parrot on stage. And that said bird had since died. 
Oh, okay, okay. So I, I'm guessing he didn't know what was going on, but he knew that, you know, like something was wrong and the common thread was this bird. So the same way, for instance, that, you know, if you had an issue with a farm, and the farmer and his wife got sick and you say, oh, what else is going on? Well, you look around and you say, oh, you know, maybe all of the, the cattle also got sick and were dying or, um, you know, the, uh, you know, the sheep or the, all these kind of things. So, yeah, yeah. So as a result, he said, this is an ex parrot. <laughs> Josh, Josh, you're you're mixing up medicine and Monty Python again. I, I, I <laughs> he shuffled I've, off this mortal coil. Uh, I've I've told you I've told you not to mix up your pythons with your caduceuses. <laughs> he's not sleeping. He's pushing up the daisies. <laughs> so, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. An alert. <laughs> Similar to that, I imagine, was issued by the Asistencia Pública, the Argentine National Health Board. Well, you, and, you think that because, like, when they were trying to announce an outbreak, they used a Monty Python gag, is what you're saying? I think if they would have been aware of it, even though it came 50 years later. Sure, and sure. And soon, okay. reports of similar outbreaks connected to sick parrots but diagnosed as typhoid or influenza were coming to light throughout the country which meant oh. huge numbers of parrots were then summarily executed throughout the country healthy oh. or not as people panicked the stock price of parrots plummeted what? people wanted to get parrots the hell out of the country but you know who <laughs> you know who was stuck with a bunch of parrots on their hands unscrupulous oh. pet dealers oh my okay okay so and we have to go back a little bit here because there there is um a normal animal trade going on during these times, but are we already at a point in time you're saying where there is a, like a, a regular animal trade, like with customs and all that kind of a thing. And then there's like black market trade, like an illicit trade. Well, you see with all of these outbreaks, it was a regular poppin' parrot pandemic. <laughs> Oh, no. Yeah, yeah. So they, they had to do what's called a cull. And this has happened before, you know, a few times. A lot of times with rodents, where you have to do a rodent cull. Um, we've had to do deer Well, culls. no, the cull, the cull yeah. was take. Let me step in. The okay. cull was taken out or uh, done by a over-enthusiastic and concerned citizenry. Argentina, oh. however, outlawed the trade of exotic birds, having okay. finally traced our theater parrot to a shipment from Brazil. Okay. And, okay. This left, and this left the remaining birds in the country with, in bulk, our bulk birds. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. During the previous parrot pandemic. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And they, they had to bargain off their bulk birds. Uh-huh, yeah. Right. So these bargain bulk birds were with yeah. unscrupulous dealers who 
would say, hey, look, a cruise ship stopping at Buenos Aires. And you know who doesn't read Argentinian newspapers? Oh, no. no. And might love to buy this colorful, beautiful bird at special price just for you? (laughs) So I've got a side story on this. I can tell it at the end of R.A.D. Plagues. But uh, remind me about my side story on a 21st century equivalent of this that I actually witness firsthand. So basically they there was a call that went out and said please stop selling these birds. They are unsafe. And instead of, you know, killing them or, you know, you know, getting rid of them in a safe manner, these folks said, no, 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 I'm, I'm still going to try to make a buck off of these things. <laughs> and because there's these, these people said, I would yeah. never spread <laughs> disease among my countrymen. Oh, 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 let I see. Me sell, <laughs> let me sell these sickly birds sure. to tourists. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is like, you know, kind of revenge on the colonists kind of a thing where the <laughs> folks of Argentina. So now, yeah. traveling, traveling back via dead parrot from Argentina. Okay. So traveling mm-hmm. back from Argentina to the United States as the dead parrot flies. Sure, sure. <laughs> yeah. Okay, yeah, straight shot across the globe. Uh-huh. Moral Goddard, editor of the American Weekly, a magazine exactly halfway as respectable as the New Yorker and the tabloid Inquirer. Oh, okay. <laughs> so you just a rag, an absolute rag, okay? No, no, exactly halfway between the New Yorker and the Inquirer. Sure had spotted this tale about a troop in an obscure Argentine scientific journal the previous November. And he wired the paper's Buenos Aires correspondent asking for further details. It was the correspondent who managed to trace the surviving cast members. Oh, okay, okay. So some real investigative journalism here. Okay. And after... The pro- and the prop man as well, and they found, they wired all this up, wrote it up, and just published it as, oh, hey, look, uh, a parrot killed a famous celebrity and caused a massive thing. You know, the kind of stuff you'd expect to read in the New Yorker of a massive disease outbreak mixed with, and it was all caused by one star, star <laughs> parrot. <laughs> um, gotcha, gotcha. So they were, however, I mean, yeah, yeah, go ahead. However, this uh, this U.S. Weekly or this um, this People's sort of magazine, yeah, uh, made its way to the home of a Mrs. Doctor Martin. Oh, okay, cool, very cool. And as Doctor Martin came home, baffled by the family symptoms, sharing his bewilderment over dinner with his wife, when Doctor okay. Martin mentioned the dead parrot. She said, well, just this last Sunday, I'd been reading about an outbreak of parrot fever in Buenos Aires. And then 1950s and then 1950s sitcom music cued in. Um, <laughs> in yeah. Now, that, I think, brings us to Santosh. Do you have enough information to identify this disease, this pandemic of 1929 <laughs> to 1930? So 
I, I have a few thoughts in my mind about, you know, where, where you could be going with this because this is bird to human transmission. So the, you know, the bigger ones that would have been able to be seen by a microscope at that time, I don't know if it was already discovered, but Cryptococcus is one of these where, it, you know, it's a big fungal yeast and you can see it on the microscope. That one can certainly cause respiratory disease, but usually that doesn't kill the parrot. Um, there are influenzas that we're always worried about that pass, you know, between birds and humans and other animals and mutate and then can pass along that way. But it seems a little too acute because I also would have remembered, uh, you know, a bird flu or avian flu spreading that way and it's not ringing a bell. So the other one, if you're talking about respiratory symptoms and then bird going to human and then the birds are dying and the humans are dying this one right here josh it, it's usually thought of as an, a sexually transmitted diseases <laughs> but these were not a bunch of you know uh, you know they weren't boning parrots but it's it's a species of chlamydia and it there's chlamydia trachomatis which we think of as sti but there's also chlamydia what we call i i never know how to pronounce this psittacy or sitaki, <laughs> it's P-S-I-T-T-A-C-I. Psittacosis. Psittacosis, yeah, yeah. So I still don't know how the hell it was named, but it is bird to human, and it looks just like, you know, the other chlamydias under the microscope, and it behaves like it. It's in the same family, but it is, uh, you know, you, you send it by respiratory droplet. And by the way, there are other human-to-human chlamydias, but this is the bird chlamydia. Now, this became common not only in parrots, but in parakeets. And they were harboring this deadly pathogen from the Amazon, which was the stuff of domestic nightmares. You know, imagine your cute little parakeet, which... There were literal peddlers going door to door. Peddlers of parrot, parrot, peddlers of parrot and parakeet pandemic fever. We're gonna get it. We're gonna get a good tongue twister by the end of this, right, Santosh? Absolutely, Josh. Right, there we are. So, in an era when itinerant peddlers are going door to door with parrots and parakeets for women so often that this became known as the widow's pneumonia or the oh. lovebird sickness. Oh, oh my. Okay. Okay. So other, other, uh, there are other widowing type of diseases out there. So I, I kind of understand why folks got drawn to naming it that way. Well, it was called widow's pneumonia because widows were well known for getting birds to sing and keep them company in between all the griefing and cleaning that they presumably were doing in the 1920s once their man was dead. Uh, and, <laughs> and we know this from, shockingly, the Hearst newspaper group. And if it had not been for yellow journalism, the causes of this disease and its connections probably would not have spread so fast. They were yeah. really good at disseminating, in this case, if not always accurate information, uh, in this case, a true connection between parrots and disease. Yeah, um, this, so <laughs> this mm -hmm. is the problem with the sensationalist kind of stuff, because trying to figure out what's real and what's not is absolutely crazy. But their strategy often is to take 
everything, like just grab a whole bunch of crap. And- Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Just throw it at the wall. <laughs> it's eventually like something will stick. Like there, there'll be one out of those thousand scandalous stories, which are like, huh, that was actually for real. Um, because yeah, if you brought it up at the time with doctors or lay people or anything else, they'd be like, dude, what are you reading? Stop that. <laughs> so Martin was not the type to take a chance, and so he sent a telegram off to the public health service in D.C. Request okay. information regarding diagnosis parrot fever. Stop. What information <laughs> available regarding prevention spread of parrot fever? Stop. Can you place yeah. supply parrot fever serum at our disposal immediately? Stop. Wire reply. Yeah. Now... <laughs> A lot of telegrams from Martin and others like him ended up on the desk of Surgeon General Hugh S. Cumming, spelled uh, okay. in the most hilarious way possible. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. You have to. You can't. You can't have a name like that. It's like and, a, it's like a vaudeville know. name, like Hugh S. Cumming. Yes, Hugh. Yeah. Yes, Hugh. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so he then. Don't worry, he's not really involved. He passed them on to his subordinate, Dr. George McCoy, the director of the Public Health Service Hygienic Laboratory, previously the star of his own episode of 80 Plagues for tularemia, Mm -hmm. as he was the first to discover it. So he sent laboratory workers in to investigate whether parrots were implicated in the Annapolis outbreaks similar to the Argentinian ones. And one by one, every single one of those laboratory workers fell ill. And by February, Dr. McCoy's subordinate, Armstrong, as well as several other personnel at the Hygienic, which was their laboratory, uh, had been removed to the Naval Hospital. By the time the outbreak in the Hygienic Center concluded in March, Armstrong's Mm -hmm. assistant, Henry Shorty Anderson, was dead, along with 10 other hygiene lab workers. We started in Parrots and ended up in a Mission Impossible episode. Yeah. <laughs> this is this is really spreading fast. Now, I've read often about you know, psittacosis and it it's not something we see terribly frequently here in the first world, but I didn't realize the extent of how contagious this thing is. 
Um, I do understand that once it gets into the laboratory, if you're not using precautions, nowadays we have, you know, biosafety cabinets and that kind of a thing that directs the air away from the investigator. But there are a few diseases out there like that, that when you start to culture, purify, whatever it is, then you get multiplication and concentration of these bacteria in one building and you can start to hurt a lot of people very very quickly now with lab techs dropping dead left and right finding a cause of this was more important than ever so it fell to mccoy as the senior most leader to conduct the critical experiments on parrots in the basement in an attempt to isolate what he thought was the virus of psittacosis and develop a serum as, you know, Dr. Martin was waiting. Um, But the tests were inconclusive, and he was forced to chloroform the birds and fumigate the building from top to bottom to prevent things from escaping. He never even muttered. In records written about this, they said he never smiled, nor muttered, nor grumbled as he performed this task, but just killed and killed and killed, and at the end of it washed out every last cage and gave all the dead bodies of those assorted unhappy creatures a decent and thorough burning in the laboratory incinerator. Wow. Now, after Dr. McCoy's hygienic murder spree, the investigation and the deaths of all these lab workers put the laboratory in the news and highlighted the need for more funding and better facilities. After all, we had only recently gotten the country away from the Spanish flu, as it was known at the time. And the last thing we needed was a parrot pandemic. Actually, yeah, yeah. So, and, you know, always remember, you know, the Spanish flu was not Spanish. (laughs) It was really named as such because you know, there was so much difficulty with... Spain was the only one reporting know. on it and took the blame. Done. See how there fast that go. is to explain? Oh, In fine. April, <laughs> Senator Joseph Ranzel, uh, a senator from Louisiana, introduced a bill to give more funding to the hygienic laboratory and to rename it the National Institute of Health. Well, there we go. That's wonderful. Okay. So in case you were wondering, where did the National Institute of Health come from? It came from a sick parrot. <laughs> More than that, absolutely. But yeah, that, that's, uh, that's certainly, certainly one of the, the reasons. That's so awesome. Now, back to our parrot fever, again, caged birds were the FM radios of their day, which is part of why this was spreading so quickly. We didn't have Apple phones. We had Apple-eating parakeets. Right. Uh, You have canaries with providing soothing background music, whereas, I don't know, macaws are giving you drum and bass. Who knows? It was estimated that New York City alone in the 1920s to 30s was home to some 30,000 parrots. 30,000? It's a lot more parrots than you thought were in New York City, huh? (laughs) So, well, I shouldn't say it like that. We here, uh, all of us, when we arrived in the United States, all the way going back to indigenous peoples, but definitely when there was colonization and everything, we decimated all kinds of bird populations. 
like one after the other. So, okay, gotcha. Let's start getting into what this disease actually looked like, as now we've given you our whole sordid history mystery. Uh, During the first week of illness, most people look pretty well, but tend to run temperatures that are a bit higher than you expect to see for this kind of bacteria. And after five to six days, you get headache, insomnia, a cough, and profound exhaustion. Yeah. What am I missing, Satosh? (laughs) Sorry, say that again. Fevers, cough, profound exhaustion. Headache, insomnia. Oh, and after that, a bunch of people slipped into delirium and became semi-comatose. <laughs> yeah, this is the weird thing about it is that you you don't have, like you would with a pneumonia, you don't have this concentrated site of the bacterial infection. Bacterial infections that are this bad generally speaking, will make you very, very fatigued. I've, I've had bacterial pneumonia before and it sucks. But the other symptoms that you're talking about where you're having neurological symptoms and possibly like meningitis or encephalitis and this shattering uh, headache that, that's going along with it, that can that's weird that's very very odd along with this um some folks you know if you're having the meningitis type symptoms the headache you're have the light sensitivity like that as well and it's not true meningitis but a lot of people nowadays will actually have such a bad set of symptoms that people say forget the pneumonia we think he has meningitis and they'll do a lumbar puncture so yeah, there's there's lots of other places where this thing can go and you end up having these extra pulmonary syndromes where you start scratching your head and say, oh, I don't think this is like walk in the park, normal meat and potatoes, strep pneumonia. Oh, like one of the fun ones is you get pulse temperature dissociation. So when they're febrile, <laughs> you actually see relative bradycardia or a slow heartbeat instead yeah. of what you would expect, which is a much faster heartbeat, which is if you're an internal medicine doc, a super nerdy thing to be excited about. <laughs> we love it too. So you can see that with the chlamydia, rickettsia, you can see it with typhoid fever very famously, where the temperature will be 104 and the person's heart rate will be like 89, 90. Like, you the know. person's heart rate will just be like, chill. <laughs> we, don't, we don't need to worry about this fever. You do, yeah, but the heart doesn't know that. <laughs> sure, sure, sure. <laughs> so yeah, I'm yeah. sorry, it's just... I get excited when, because do you know how hard that is to just pick up? Like if you're not Dr. House to be looking, to be looking at someone and being like, who's got a pneumonia and being like, what, what is happening? Wait a minute. They have a fever and the heart rate is normal. Is that because because of the heart rate medications I have them on or, or sir, are you a pirate? No. That's so to diagnose this, even in the 1930s, authorities were aware that this disease was only passed from birds to humans. It was only passed between birds and inhaling from infected birds was the only human mode of contracting the disease. That's why the show was cursed, but not the audience. Um, oh, neat. Okay. So it had to, it, it couldn't travel that far. Um, but if you were close enough to it, 
um, then, you know, the bird in this case, you'd get sick. Yeah, if you're hanging around houses that keep infected birds, and warning signs of infected birds included loss of appetite, difficulty breathing, and bill secretions, which is not an easily identifiable symptom on a human. This is not a disease we culture because cultures are highly discouraged for a couple reasons. They're difficult, they're performed only in specialized labs, and as we mentioned, having killed at least 10 in the initial experiments, it's pretty infectious to lab personnel. <laughs> yeah, so the the last one, talking about that first, we have a lot of hazardous agents in the laboratory like this. And because of that, there have been beautiful health and safety kind of precautions that have been given in clinical microbiology labs across the country. So over here, Josh, in California, we have coccidioidomycosis, which causes valley fever. Brucella can do this, of course, tuberculosis, if you're culturing TB. But now you have an organism that's actually quite difficult to culture. Uh, you can't isolate it from the sputum, from the pleural fluid, like if they have an effusion. Um, and then, of course, if you have tissue. But the problem is it reverts to a form. You know, you're not going to get a lot of human-to-human -human transmission with this particular uh, bacterium. But once you culture it on the plate and you're able to grow it, now it can aerosolize off the plate. And that's the scary thing about it. Um, but yes, you're absolutely right. The, the mode of transmission, as we've established, is mouth-to-beak contact. <laughs> <laughs> or... or. Yeah. Inhaling or, or. bird secretions and droppings. There you go. <laughs> Which, you know, whatever your kink is, who are we to shame? So, yeah. But, the, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you need fairly close contact with these birds, but it doesn't need to be that close. So, yes, these folks were in the theater and, you know, they were kind of stroking the bird. They were close by and it was coming off the feathers and maybe the a little bit of fecal matter that was that was on the feathers and the cage. But we also see this, Josh, uh, a lot in people who have to slaughter chickens and, and other birds for a living. Um, so people who work at the butchers. Um, and then unfortunately, at these horrible illegal, like, you know, chicken fights and cockfights and that kind of a thing. Um, we see that too, along with animal smugglers. So don't do illegal no. stuff with animals. It's always a good rule. Uh, <laughs> now, interestingly, a lot of this Chlamydia satachi will usually remain dormant in birds until and unless it's activated by the stress of capture and confinement. Oh. Say, if you're in a shipment of 499 other birds from Brazil on your way <laughs> to Argentina trying to make it big in Broadway. Yeah. And of course, they're all out there pining for the fjords. <laughs> <laughs> yeah absolutely no no it, they're they're okay and they can live with this to to most birds it's not a strict pathogen but yes so if they're stuffed and being shipped that's it you know illegal bird trades and that kind of a thing if they are in very close quarters so you're rearing birds for slaughter uh, you know that's Again, so on these chicken farms and that kind of a thing, especially if you don't um, aerate the area, you know, if, if they're all in a 
you know, close barn and stuff like that together. Um, absolutely. That, that stresses them out. Immune system goes down and now they start shedding it. So you've got stressed birds, panicked people, mm-hmm. uh, a parrot or parakeet in every household and a trade outlaw as well as quarantine. So after the announcement of the mode of transmission, sailors were ordered to quarantine their birds <laughs> oh that's that's got to be a fun conversation at the dock <laughs> okay and i don't know if you know this but a lot of sailors in the navy at least in the 1920s a more than statistically significant amount had birds like new york I, city I, levels <laughs> i genuinely thought this was a stereotype like one of those things, like when you talk to a sailor, you know, it's like, hey, man, where's your bird? In one particular instance, sailors ordered to quarantine their birds instead set them free. In one case, oh. in one case, okay, <laughs> over 74 members of a crew set free over 90 birds. Ooh. <laughs> Oh, so some of them had doubles and triples. Okay, gotcha. Which makes me wonder if this was like a pirate ship or if pirate ships were stuffed with parrots like clown cars. <laughs> like well, bird droppings everywhere. I'm surprised shit. that we've made so many scurvy jokes and <laughs> let the rich history of parrot punning pass us by. Oh, okay. <laughs> Well, I, I would guess then, you know, if you had your cabins, right, you know, where, uh, you know, a lot of the folks would hang out, you know, you had your crew, and you had nothing to do for a long time, you wanted a companion, someone you could hang out with, and, you know, dogs and cats, you know, they're okay, but they don't do well on the ship. Um, but yeah, having a parrot or a parakeet, you know, you can just keep it in a little cage, and it's fine, and... Yeah. I don't know why, but I always felt like pirates were a symbol of office for... Of what now? Like, like the captain got... Or like the parrots were a symbol of office for pirates. Like oh, the, Like the captain you've, gets you've... to have a parrot. <laughs> and maybe the first mate. But like yeah. every sailor? Everybody. <laughs> I didn't realize I was such... You, Such you, a classist. You were for... a pirate elitist. You were, you were a parrot elitist. Yeah. <laughs> How dare you, sir? How dare you, I say. Beautiful. No, no. Parrots, parrots for all. Give me pirates or give me give me parrots or give me death. Or in this case, give me parrots and give me death. Beautiful <laughs> plumage, the Norwegian blue. Um, <laughs> no, I mean, I feel like the next movie should be called Parrots of the Caribbean. I, I totally should. I, if somebody hasn't made Parrots of the Caribbean already, we're optioning that that script right now. You and me, Josh. We're and making then it, it can star John. And then it can star Johnny Strep, Dukakis Pneumonia. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, I love it. Absolutely. Um. So let's talk about treatment. Uh, like most animal carry diseases our first line tends to be tetracyclines uh so how long how much um yeah how did we discover it santosh (laughs) 
All right. So you've got your person with the fevers and the headache and bad, bad cough and they're fatigued. And then you take their pulse when they have a fever of 102 and it's like 78. And you're like, ha ha, have you been kissing any birds, sir? <laughs> yeah. So you make your the guy says, of course I have. I'm a I'm, sailor. I'm a <laughs> sailor. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Okay. So you draw their blood. Uh, you get their antibodies. You've you've uh, gotten their what's called their serology, and they have positive antibodies for chlamydia. Okay, uh, chlamydia pneumoniae. And if you're really good, you've taken uh, antibodies about two weeks apart, so you can see them change you know as the disease course goes on uh because you know you you uh hate human beings and you just want the data <laughs> so you've done all of that and now you want to treat and yeah tetracyclines uh are going to be first line josh it used to be the classical old school tetracycline but we've had so many issues with tetracycline in terms of if it expires, you have problems with it. Uh, it's, of course, really scary in pregnancy. Um, and it's not uh, terribly useful in kids because it can cause a host of problems. So now we have a newer generation called doxycycline. And, you know, we can give that one beautifully IV or oral. And it really clears things up. It, it gets into all the cells where the chlamydia is hanging out and it wipes it out and uncomplicated chlamydia pneumonia or sorry, chlamydia cytosine. Um, if you don't have anything else going on. So if you don't have, you know, central nervous system disease, if you don't have endocarditis in your heart, then, you know, 10 days is really good. What about for children is do we give, because we can't give cyclines or we're not supposed to give cyclines to kids it's one of the few yeah. things i remember about pediatric medicine. Yeah. <laughs> that's true so it used to be a black box warning now with doxycycline and the more and more we're gaining experience with it that warning is now gone so you we used to say not under the age of eight years and all of this kind of thing but nowadays with Lyme disease, with rickettsia, with chlamydias, if you need to use doxy, you can definitely use doxycycline, no problem. However, when we were worried about tetracycline use in children and causing problems with bones and teeth and that kind of a thing, and also, Josh, in pregnant women where you don't want to use any tetracyclines whatsoever, you can use what's called a macrolide. So the old Z-Pack, Josh. <laughs> The old Z-Pack will, will do you for, uh, for, uh, chlamydia citizen. It is not as efficacious. Oh, I'll, I'll put it another way. We don't have as much experience with using macrolides as we do with doxycycline. So there's a little bit, uh, you know, uh, better, uh, efficacy. And now we're actually able to, you know, use doxycycline in, pregnancy as well uh, when you need to. So um, yeah, the macrolide, your, your azithromycin is your backup. If you can't find either of those, Josh, and you are in outside of the United States, you can use a very cheap old drug. As long as you check the levels, you can use chloramphenicol with rifampin. Um, but the problem is with those two, if you don't use a doxycycline or, or an azithromycin is you have a higher chance for relapse. 
And if you're someplace where those are the only two you can get, you're likely to be potentially surrounded by parrots. Yeah. So. <laughs> and you can get reinfected. That's the problem. It's just, you know, unlike a lot of bacteria here, you know, you don't gain immediate, you know, kind of uh, immune uh, memory from this kind of a thing. So, yes, you unfortunately can get sick again with it. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And although we've been pointing all the blame at parrots because it's just narratively easier, uh, as we mentioned, also in parakeets, lovebirds, and many other personal fowl. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, that's it. Boy, what a roller coaster <laughs> we've been so on this you episode. Us, yeah, that roller coaster was transcontinental, Josh. You took us from Brazil to Argentina onto some, you know, uh, cruise ships coming across to the United States and then coming up the eastern seaboard of the United States all the way up to Annapolis, Maryland, and, you know, from some dirty Um, birds. We went from Monty Python to Murder, She Wrote, (laughs) all the way to... uh... A new maybe 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 house um, to so, the founding of the NIH. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Now, Chlamydia Citizy was prominently featured on the show House. Uh, yeah, and in that case, the child had a culture negative endocarditis. So he's he was having trouble with his heart, and they found you know these vegetations and stuff on the valve, but nothing was growing in blood culture. And so they found out that he was a migrant worker and he had been working with chickens, but not telling his family about it because it was an illicit, you know, uh, chicken fighting, uh, cock fighting kind of a thing. So he didn't want to embarrass his family. So he lied about it. Um, And yeah, yeah. So it can go to the heart endocarditis like that. But yeah, house NIH and, you know, the founding of the NIH, that makes me so proud and happy. That's some parrots and some, uh, you know, domesticated birds necessitated the NIH. That's fantastic. In fact, the only reason this parrot had been sitting on his perch is that he'd been <laughs> nailed there. <laughs> you will not give up this Monty Python bit, will you? I I honestly don't know how much of our listening audience is familiar with Monty Python's parrot sketch. And I just want to yeah. make sure that they go out and watch it because... It needs to be seen. It's yeah, yeah. F- finish this episode because we love having you guys listen, and then you know, or or pause it and uh, go see just Monty Python parrot sketch, and a hundred percent, it's going to be all over YouTube, and you too will be educated about the ex parrot. He's rested. <laughs> uh, so that's it. For this week, as always, we love to hear your comments, questions, and feedback. If you'd like to support us spiritually, emotionally, or financially, links to do that are in the show notes, along with links for further reading. We now have a subscription tier that is ad-free and also comes with bonuses uh, like song parodies and behind-the-scenes conversations as soon as I get around to posting them. Yeah, absolutely. Our theme music is composed by Rachel Leisure. The show is produced by me with a lot of help from Dr. Santosh and friends. And until next time, as always, get your flu shots. Oh, yeah.
get your COVID shots, wear a mask. It will cut down on flu and COVID. And if you live somewhere that gets cold, start looking for a place to go during those chilly months. And once you've done all that, as always, happy travels. Bye, guys. And avoid parrots. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.